Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. All right, I am with Hunter Allen. He, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Hunter, but you're the founder of Peaks Coaching Group. That's correct. And you are co-author of Training and Racing with a Power Meter and Cutting Edge Cycling. And you are the guy. You're represented as the guy where training with power is concerned as a cyclist or triathlete. Welcome to the show, Power. Uh, power, <laughs> Hunter. Maybe you should change your name to Power Allen. <laughs> hey, more power to you. <laughs> more yeah. power to both of us, for Christ's sake. That's it. That's it. So uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Welcome to be here. Yeah, I'm glad. Glad to have you. So again, I, I know I got you a little bit out of your wheelhouse, but you know that's good, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people are going to be listening to this right now, and they're going to be scratching their head, and they're going to try to figure out, why am I talking to a cycling guy on a show that is dedicated to running? And the reason um, is because we're forward thinkers. You and I, I would like to believe I'm going to speak for you here. But be, right. being a forward thinker, being the guy that introduced power, for the most part, to the cycling community, and developing training modalities around power output for cycling, and the world at large is realizing that that's a very cool metric to measure performance. And it's just been very, very difficult to get an effective measure in running mechanics and running uh, at large. The only thing we have right now that uh, provides us with information for the most part is heart rate. So I would like to believe that if we can pull this off, if we can get this power aspect into running, that's going to be a tremendous adjunct to our ability to improve performance. What say you, sir? <laughs> well, I think that that, uh, that that could be really, really exciting. I mean, to me, you know, what, what has been the, the revolution and, uh, and for the runners out there, why this has been such a huge deal in the cycling world is because um, it's actually the dose of training that we're able to measure. You know, we've never been able to measure the training dose before, uh, and you know, because we we just had things that measure the response. You know, and, and heart rate is a response, um, speed is a response. All these things are uh, are and VO two max are responses um, to the actual training dose, and and that's been the the massive change that we've had in, in our in our small little world. Um, over the past 10 years or so, uh, and to be able to measure that training dose. Because once you can measure the training dose, then you can, de you can determine the demands of the event, 
All right. So then we got to understand what are the demands of the event exactly, and then we can train to the demands of the event. So in our case in cycling, uh, it is you know, hey, what is uh, what is that training dose? It you know, well, we know that hey, it's um, going to be uh, four hill repeats and you know, sixty mile rod, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we're measuring power measures the work, the actual kilojoules of work. So one watt is a joule per second. Uh, or actually, sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> That's funny. I got one joule is a watt per second. Uh, and so if you do a hundred watts in one second, you do one kilojoule of work. Okay, so that's a great way to start to think about it is um, when, when we, we start moving this over to the running world, it's going to be what kind of, what's your, what kind of work can you do? How much work can you do? Uh, and measuring it in watts is a great way to do it because that's the same thing for running. You know, you really, you know, only time, right? You can only measure by time. Like, oh, gosh, well, you ran a, a five-minute mile or you ran a six-minute mile or you ran a, a four-minute mile or whatever. You only have that time to measure it by. And while that's been good and that works, of course, you can certainly train with it, um, but you're not seeing what's happening in that time. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of variation that happens while you're running that six-minute mile or eight-minute mile or whatever, in that period of time, how, heavy, how hard you're striking the ground, where you're striking the ground, how much time you're spending on the ground. So all this information uh, can be collected and then used so that you can you know, find out where maybe your strengths and weaknesses lie and then how to change those. That was well said. That was well said. And you brought up a lot of really interesting points that I want to address in a little bit. Um, but I would like to kind of back up just a little bit and just kind of dovetail away from the whole concept of running for a second and talk about cycling because I think it's critical to bring to light the the nomenclature of the metrics that you're gathering. So one of them being, uh, incidentally, I'm sitting with your book on my desk which, right. incidentally, I bought this book, um, I, I want to say I bought this book probably five years ago. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and, you know, being a cyclist myself and, you know, very curious about all these different uh, metrics while I'm training, uh, I read your book. Right. And, and, and incidentally, I should, I should preface this by telling you that I, I've done interviews with uh, Joe Frail on, on a few different occasions, and I've read his work. And uh, I've been a heart rate guy for two decades, so I have a really solid curiosity for all of this. However, the term functional threshold power, mm-hmm. can we kind of touch on what that is? Because when I deal with people where heart rate is concerned, mm-hmm. it's still, after all these years, it's still very confusing for them. And what happens with power, as I understand it, is that it's a function of a comparative, the yield that is being created relative to the cost associated with the work. Is that relatively accurate? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, you know, w- when you think about it, um, think about it in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the limit, right? Think about it as 
um, you know, where you're right on the edge of the table, you know, and, and you're at the edge. You can stay right there on the edge, and, and you can do it for a certain period of time without fatiguing. So there is, there, you know, there's kind of this, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, limiter or governor in the body that, that says, okay, hey, you know, you can, you can go this far, but if you go above it for any little time period, then you're going to run out of energy and you can't do this anymore. Right. So, well, looking at this in comparison to metabolic consequence of work, you got your lactate threshold. When you speak of limiters, in the world of heart rate, that is a limiter. You're looking at beyond this, the cost of work is becoming more expensive than is sustainable, and mm-hmm. it becomes a problem. Functional yep. threshold power is essentially the same thing, is it not? Yep, yep, absolutely. I mean, it's, it is it is right there on the on the on that limit. I mean, it is you know if you if you if you break it down into two different components, like if we broke excess physiology down into two components, we said you have the aerobic component where you're producing energy with oxygen, and you have the anaerobic component when you're producing energy without oxygen. So if you remember back to high school biology, you know you can produce 38 ATP with oxygen and you know whatever two or something without it. All right, so you just can't produce a lot of energy without oxygen. Um, thank goodness there's a lot of oxygen on this planet. Right. <laughs> but what we're doing here is, is, is you know, you can go right up to the edge of that place before going anaerobic, before starting to have to produce a lot of energy anaerobically, and, and stay there, you know. And so this functional threshold power concept is, um, you know, we named it, Andy, Dr. Cog and I named it that because... Well, it's functional, so we actually do it on a bicycle. You don't have to go to a lab anywhere, so you're, you're, you're riding, you're outside. Um, you can do it inside, too, but you're still on your bicycle, essentially. Um, it's threshold, it's this concept of this limit, and we're measuring power. You know, we're not measuring lactate, we're not measuring heart rate, we're not re- measuring perceived exertion, we're measuring power or wattage. And so this functional threshold power idea came from that. And in our, in our world... Uh, in the cycling world, um, you know, there is, it, it, you know, kind of the, the, uh, the standard by which everyone judges themselves is what's, a, what's called a 40-kilometer time trial. So you do a 40-kilometer, about 25 miles or so, time trial as hard as you can go the whole time on the limit right there. And if you can do it under an hour then that's a really, you know, that's a significant milestone. You've reached a certain level of, of proficiency that not many cyclists can do. So we said, you know, that's such a common standard in our world. Let's make it the standard. And so functional threshold power is the best average power you can do for, a, for an hour, for 60 minutes. Now, take that to running, right? Now, take that same concept to running and... You know, the, the if you kind of bring it back to running, well, you know, the thing that an hour does for an hour run is much more difficult than an hour bike ride at your limit, okay, because you've got lots of structural load, um, you know, it's slower, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't dissipate heat as well, um, all these things. So um, one of my uh, fellow coaches here at Peaks Coaching Group, uh, Dr. Steve McGregor, uh, you know, he, he, he and um, – Matt Fitzgerald, they came up with, well, for a runner, it's 45 minutes. So a 45-minute, all-out, hard-as-you-can-run effort 
is equivalent roughly to an hour on the bicycle. Um, and so that's where they nailed the functional threshold um, power for running. Uh, so that's going to be a really interesting concept, especially as we start to see people start to base you know, training zones off of those things, and, and, and we start to see that coming around in the future here. Well, I guess I should tiptoe into this. Uh, as I suggested to you before we got on the, the live mic here, uh, I'm working with a company called uh, Medhab that produces this thing called RPM Squared, which is insoles that will report to you impact where, in fact, the loads are being placed as you make contact with the ground, flight time, cadence, and also power. Now, this yeah, it's going to be an interesting frontier. It's going to be a very interesting frontier. And when I first started talking to these guys about it, I thought, well, dude, if you can make this happen in the insole and push it onto the bike at the price point you're talking about, that's going to be pretty interesting because, as you know better than most, that the biggest problem with power in cycling and attainment is just it's expensive. You know, it has been for for many, many years. It's just SRM being basically the the leader in the beginning, I should say. Uh, And I might be wrong about that, but I know that looking at SRM back in the day, you know, is several thousand dollars to get uh, the, the unit on your bike. And then it becomes a function of uh, where you're going to capture that power, um, whether you're going to get it from the chain, whether you're going to get it from the crank, whether now you're talking about getting it from the pedal, all these different places that you gather the power, and then the arguments in respect to where the most efficient gathering point would be where power is concerned. Right. I would think that gathering power from the foot itself as you're going through a pedal stroke would be a premium place to gather it, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's right where it occurs. I mean, that is about, uh, it's the transfer between that, that foot into the into the shoe and then into the pedal, down through the pedal axle, into the crank arm, into the bottom bracket to then turn the, the, the crank and, sp- and chain, which turns the rear wheels. So um, that's a, that is pretty much as, as close as you can get to um, where it occurs. You know, and that's a big deal, right? I mean, We've got lots of power meters out there on the market. They measure in multiple different places on the bicycle. Um, some measure downstream, you know, essentially what gets to the wheel. Some measure, you know, in the, the pedal axle themselves. Um, and, but nobody's measuring in the, the sole of the foot right where it happens. So that would, could be a really exciting place. Well, I think it is too. What What's really kind of left unsaid and is kind of like, as I suggested earlier, the kind of the holy grail, is being able to look at the power output relative to flight time, where the impact source is. In, in other words, whether you're landing on your heel, whether you're landing on the outside edge of your foot, whether you're actually producing power directly through the, the great toe as you're pushing off as you're running, what the cost of work is associated with, with what you're doing. And being able to garner this information and look at it and try to figure out what you ought to be doing to improve your efficiency and improve your performances. I had this conversation, incidentally, with Jim Vance. Do you know Jim Vance? Sure, I know Jim. Yeah. Well, we had this conversation a bit ago, and we were talking about the very same thing. And and I think he's in the midst of trying to write a book about uh, running with power. And he suggested to me that he had made a comment in a blog or something not that long ago 
that he felt that when we get to a place where we're able to effectively measure power output in running, that's where all the records are going to fall, you know, right from 40-yard dash right on up to a marathon. We're going to start noticing big differences in, in performance. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think that's a reasonable thing to say? Well, you know, that's certainly, um, that's certainly possible. Um, it, it has certainly revolutionized the cycling world and, and the training that we do, uh, and, it, and, and significantly so. Um, because it's it's allowed us to be become more uh, optimized, uh, and and you know in terms of what's the optimal t- uh, amount of training you have to do, uh, because some people uh, actually do better with a little less training, some people do a little better with more training, some people um, you know are, are optimal where they are, and then at the same time, not just optimal from a, a perspective of Oh, okay, here's my periodization cycle over a year or something. Um, but also from a place of, well, how do we optimize these workouts themselves? And so two ways that happens. You know, one, you're addressing a particular system. You're training a system, an energy system. I'm training the lactate system or I'm training the uh, VO2 max system or I'm training the neuromuscular power system. And so... You know, one uh, a power meter could could confirm, hey, you are training the right system. You're in the right zone, okay. Um, and so that's a that's a big difference. And then the other third way that it makes it uh, more optimal is it it can tell you when to stop training. You know, so um, there's been this big problem in uh, in cycling forever, and, and I imagine the same thing in the running world too. Um, is that uh, how many intervals should you do? How many repeats should you do? How many uh, how many how many uh, of these these efforts should you do? You know, should you do five? Should you do ten? Well, you know, in the 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 olden days, you know, when I was a pro, <laughs> back in the nineties and eighties and stuff. Well, if if I had heard the rumor that one of my competitors was doing ten hill repeats, well, I'm going to do fifteen, right? Because it's more than what my competitor is doing. Can I just tell you that that still seems to be the training protocol of late? Everybody right. wants to beat everybody else. Right, right. But the problem there is, well, you know, should you really do 15 today on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or whatever? You know, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe you should only do two today or three today. Um, or maybe you should do 20 today. So with a power meter, you can go out and it helps you to set those parameters. Okay, now, once I reach a certain point of fatigue, I'm no longer training the system that I'm actually trying to improve. Um, and therefore, I should just stop doing this. You know, it's like, gosh, you know, uh, once you see that fatigue, once you see, uh, you know, the numbers fall off enough, it's like, well, you know, I can't do it anymore. There's no reason for me to keep doing this because I'm just digging myself in a bigger hole. So from those three perspectives, the big picture, you know, looking at it at a periodization level, looking at it from the instantaneous, you know, I'm doing it correctly right now, to looking at it, when should I stop doing intervals? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has potential to, uh, to, to change uh, lots of records. You know, you're making me think about a lot of things right now, and I appreciate that. One of the things that I noticed just looking at some of the information on your site is the lag time associated with heart rate 
uh, does not exist with power. So when you're doing intervals, you're able to see just very precise outcomes in respect to the intervals from a standpoint of peak velocity, peak power, what have you. And then if you're to marry it up, I'm trying to dovetail this back to something that I do, and I just want to get your feedback on it, is I'm really big in motor skill development. And, And essentially what I tell people that I coach is there essentially are three things that you do in training. You may argue this, and if you do, that's okay with me, but I'm, I'm, curi- I'm curious to hear. Is I think that you're either doing something to improve your aerobic potential, you're doing something to improve your anaerobic potential, in other words, your lactate tolerance, and you're doing something to enhance your motor skills. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I tell people essentially that's it. I mean, you could, you could approach these things in a, a multitude of ways, but at the end of the day, those are the three targets that you're trying to, to move. You're trying to improve your aerobic potential, meaning that you're able to sustain work for a greater length of time. Uh, you're looking to stave off this ensuing lactate debilitation that occurs when you get a little bit too high into intensity. And you want to move as efficiently as possible. And this becomes a real problem with runners because when they try to achieve peak velocity, when they're trying to get to a, a speed or a pace, they tend to screw it up with the way they move. Yeah. And yeah. so if you had a way to measure that things are going badly and it's time to back off, that there's corruption and you need to back off, reset, recover, or as you suggested, throw it out. Just, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And and it's been a hole in my program, I'll tell you, because when I write program for people after I've done a VO2 test on them, I don't have a way to give them a limiter on the top end of their mechanical efficiency. So in other words, this peak velocity, where is that going to be in relation to heart rate? Because mm-hmm. you could produce a lot more velocity and find that the heart rate will lag behind and or punch up after you've completed the effort, right? Right. So right. you can't use it. So right. what I'm forced to do is use a perceptive effort. So when you feel like you're noticing that there's changes in the way you're moving and it's becoming corrupt, back off. I don't care what heart rate is, you'll look at it later, <laughs> right? right? And so right. When, I, when I'm looking at the analytics, just like you do, I'm looking at their, you know, their Garmin Connect or whatever it is that they're sending me, I have to look at it and I'm looking at, okay, there's a trend that these are the heart rates that are being achieved and there's a trend in respect to the peak velocities that are being accomplished and there's a trend in respect to the time to recovery before they begin another set. But yep. if, we're, if we're able to capture this information instantaneously and even potentially throw up a trigger that lets you know is that, you know what, you're, you're hitting really badly, your flight time is shortening up, and your frequency is, is off, and, and it's almost like a, a little red hand comes up and slaps you and says, time to go home. <laughs> right, right. No. I mean, you're, you're, you're exactly on target here. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is... This is exactly the potential that is uh, is is before us. So um, it it could it could very well revolutionize the way that you you train for running. And I think that that uh, I mean you said it well. There are three things that you do, and and in uh, the running world, the, the mechanics, the the proprioception, you know, the coordination, all those things is such a bigger part of the sport. Than cycling is. I mean, we're fixed in this uh, three points of contact. You know, literally our feet are stuck to our pedals, and 
we, we touch the handlebars and we sit on our seats and that's it. So we're in a very fixed position and the, the uh, improvements to be made from mechanics are relatively small once you get a good bike fit. Um, but after that, it's like, well, when you look at running, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, areas of improvement for running as evidenced by, you know, running lab, running gate labs and high-speed motion sensor capture cameras all over the country and people going to go and use. So to me, that's where, uh, you know, again, there's another analogy, right? I mean, what did, what did a power meter do for the cycling world? Well, you know, most cyclists don't have to go and get tested in a lab anymore, you know, because it is a mobile testing lab. So we can just go and ride our bicycle, capture the data, come back, look at it, and see where we are in all these different parameters. So I think that, that potential is certainly there for the running world. I mean, holy smokes, you know, you've got your own mobile testing lab. You go out and you run, and you can test different things. What happens if I run this way? What happens if I lean a little bit more forward? What happens if I, you know, put more weight on the outside of my foot? What happens if I do this or that, you know? And so all of a sudden, you can start to see that information. And then at that point, it just becomes a matter of interpretation. You know, what does this stuff mean? You know, and um, and and how do I how do I use it then to improve my uh, my skills down the road? Yeah, and it's it's interesting, and I it's almost like you took the words right out of my mouth. Is that the comparative is that when you get on the bike, if you have a great fit, uh, the mechanics of it are out the window. You don't really have to worry about it too much. I mean, I'm sure you can make mistakes when you get up out of the saddle, things like this. I'm sure there's things you sure. can do wrong in function of being in the wrong cadence relative to the amount of work you're trying to get done, things like that. But the target to perfection is much easier to hit opposed yep. to all the errors and flaws that have come about when you're trying to run. And then I love the pictures, the companies that take the pictures of you crossing the finish line for your first marathon, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the look on your face and the way you're running when you cross the line, because the biggest errors made in running are generally found right at the finish line. You know, you get really completely wacky when you're trying to get across that line because you're, you're, you're overstriding, you're reaching well ahead of your center of mass, you're hitting the ground hard with your heat. I mean, everything that you're doing probably go back the last uh, mile before the finish line is where everything's really falling apart as you're trying to go faster. So I, I think that there's really a lot to be said for it. But I want to talk about how this would influence, like, triathlon. So let's mm-hmm. just say, let's say I'm your client now. I just, you're just taking right. me on as a client, and, and I'm looking to set a world record for guys that are 62 years old. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and so I get on my bike, and I figure out that my functional threshold power is, uh, let's call it 200 watts. I think that's probably a good number. And, uh, and then I get off and I figured out that we've done a test on, on my run. Now I've got these insoles in and I find my functional threshold power running is, um, I don't even know what it would be. It's, let's just call it 100 watts. Is that, would you okay. think it'd be lower? It'd probably be lower, wouldn't it? Um, you know, it's going to really depend on how these devices measure it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing I don't know. I mean, I've obviously never had a chance to try it, so I don't know whether we're producing more power by by making contact with the ground on our foot or whether we're pushing a pedal. I would think that because, um, I don't know, I, mean, I just would think it would be more powerful on the bike. Yep, 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 yeah. probably right. Probably yeah. right. Let's go with that easy math, 200, okay, so, 100, 300. And then, so, I, I tell you, I got this race coming up. 
And I'm going to do an Ironman event. I'm going to Kona, right? You know, I, I, I lotteried in. <laughs> and I'm going to Kona. All right. And uh, I, we've identified that my functional threshold power, both running and, and cycling, 200, 100, what kind of advice would you provide me? So what we would do is we would end up uh, creating a pacing schedule based around those numbers. Um, now, uh, for the event itself, now, based on the training that you're going to do, like, okay, hey, uh, then we're going to build all of your training uh, zones or training levels based around those numbers. So I'm going to say, okay, you're going to do uh, you know these intervals, you know, just below your functional threshold power. So I want you to do 20-minute uh, intervals at 185 to 195 watts um, on the bike, and you know, then we're going to we're going to have we're going to build a whole entire plan based around you know, that being the number, and then we're going to be sometimes, okay, now, you know, you know, you're going to Kona, you're going to have to deal with wind, and there's a few hills there, so you're going to have to actually have the ability to do some things anaerobically, so we're going to train a little bit of the anaerobic system, too, even though you're a triathlete, you know, it's going to be, you know, okay, we're going to do intervals 120% of 200 watts, you know, and that way, we have percentage bases around those numbers, same thing will happen for running, is to say, okay, if this is 100 watts and this is what you could do when you're flat out for 45 minutes, then, all right, let's let's uh, let's build your intervals around that. Okay, so we're going to do, uh, you know, 10-minute intervals, and you're going to do 10-minute intervals at 130 watts. Uh, you're going to do 15-minute intervals at 120 watts. And, and so building that whole system around one, again, back to the idea of, what you know addressing the energy systems what are the things that are going to make a difference for you to do a triathlon an ironman kona race so that you can complete it do it the fastest that you want to do it at so we can get you there and 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 then in fact when we get you there right the whole goal is well now 200 watts is not your threshold anymore now it's 250 watts and 100 watts is not your running threshold anymore now it's 150 watts and so now you're just faster um and so it's like oh wow instead of you know doing a, a 15 hour iron man now you're going to do a 12 or 11 mile uh, hour iron man um and that's and then you know that's going to be this process of how you improve and we're going to track it the whole time so that way i can see that okay you know when you start to get tired or fatigued you know i'm going to be able to see that information and then give you a rest week when you need it uh, and I'm going to be able to plan a taper correctly for you. Because as a coach, you know, the, the holy grail of coaching is really um, peaking an athlete on the day they want to peak, right? I mean, I can get anybody fit. That's easy, right? Here, here's a training plan. Go do this. You're going to get fitter. That's easy. But actually having a peak on the day you want it, on October 6th, you know, at Ironman in Hawaii, I want to have the best day of my performance, my life, athletic life, on that day. That's the holy grail, right? And so that's the next level of understanding what power can do for running. Because once you understand the dose of training, then what we have done is we've created a score. And so every workout gets a score. 
Uh, and in cycling, that's called training stress score. So then you get a training stress score for running. Right? We already have created the training stress score for running, um, and so it's called RTSS. And every run gets a score, and then you understand what the training dose is over time. And then ultimately you can say, well, gosh, how, how much chronic training load have I had? All right, so how much chronic training load have I had? How much is my, and that's like the last six weeks, you know, et cetera, six months, et cetera. Acute training load, what's my acute training load? That's everything I've had this past week. That's my fatigue. How sore are my muscles right now? All right, so if you subtract those two things, chronic training load minus acute training load, then you get what we call training stress balance. And that then tells you how fresh you are. Right? So when you have the right uh, uh, amount of freshness combined with the right amount of fitness, then you have what we call form. So fitness plus freshness equals form, and that's a peak. All right? So that's what we've done is we've been able to quantify this information in a way that we can predict and create a peak on the exact day you want to have that peak. So this has never been done for in running, right? No. Um, so that, that's, that's going to change the running game as well. So let, let's do this. I want to do a comparative, okay? I want to talk about, and incidentally, well, we're going to get there. But because I'm a heart rate guy so far, and because I do VO2 testing here and have been for nearly 20 years, it's something I understand. So uh, when you talk to me about functional threshold power, critical power, all these different variables in respect to a particular power output, I do essentially the same thing in respect to metabolic consequence. So what I look at is, for example, respiratory exchange. Yeah. And, and I look at that value, and for example, when I look at a test and I see, uh, for example, a value of 0 0.90, which suggests that the energy cost, sugar relative to fat, there was about 32 and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood, sparing of carbohydrate, meaning you're in your fat stores. And I'm fairly comfortable that when somebody runs at that particular heart rate, it's sustainable. And the influence that we're gathering, the stimulus we're gathering, is aerobic. And comparatively to, say, um, a respiratory quotient of one, which is that shift point where now you're basically 100% up into your sugar stores. Now, when you talk about functional threshold power, how would you equate that to respiratory consequence? I mean, would you? I'm sure you've probably looked at it somewhere along the way. Where do you think that lays you? Um, in terms of fat metabolism versus yes. carbohydrate? Yeah. So... Um, that's a complicated subject uh, <laughs> because, you know, everybody has a, a different um, rate at which they oxidize fat and, you know, based on their training, based on their, you know, male, female, weight, all these things. So that's kind of a challenging thing to, to compare. Um, at the same time, uh, we generally have we have good general guidelines and say, okay, like uh, we know if you're below a certain percentage of your functional threshold power, um, then you're going to be in 
burning more fat. Uh, and, I, and I say that just carefully because, you know, I can't, you know, we don't know what percentage that is or we don't know, you know, how, how much that is for everybody. But you'll definitely be burning more fat. At a certain, at a certain point, um, let's say, oh, you know, again, 85% of your threshold power. Now you're starting to burn more carbohydrates than uh, fat, and you're running into that glycogen stores, okay? I've got two hours of glycogen store in my body, my liver, and my muscles, and I'm going to start to run into that and start using that up. Um, so there's a certain switchover place, you know, and that's where that occurs for each person. Now, that, um, again, I mean, that can be trained, right? I mean, you can certainly train your body to burn more fat, um, and there are lots of cyclists who've done the opposite, who are completely carbohydrate addicted, and I'll bet you the runners and triathletes as well, and they just run on carbohydrates. Um, and as soon as their blood sugar drops a little bit, they start to, to uh, have low blood sugar. Um, you know, they haven't taught their bodies to burn fat at a high level. So I think that that's, um, you know, from a comparison standpoint, we can, we can start to see that, and we can start to do, figure that out for yourself individually. Um, you know, the... Uh, the, the 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 software is starting to come um, come into a place where you can do something with that, figure it out without having to go and 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 have the the the, the gas exchange and figure all that out for yourself. But so it's there, it's getting there, it's getting there. We're still a few steps away though. What I'm envisioning is that, and I've not I've not done it. Well, I, I guess I have done it. I've not done it. I've not done it with this intent. But put somebody up on a trainer. And we're looking at power output, and we're doing a comparative to the respiratory consequence as we're doing a gas exchange. We're doing the VO2 test, and we're measuring power. And then you get a correlation of power output relative to expense. And what I would do is I'd, I'd go into it backwards compared to what you're doing is, is I'd say, well, when you get to this place where I want you to be training when, when I need you to be aerobic, this is what your power output is today. And then we could use that same value to determine whether there's progress. So if particular heart rate yields a particular percentage of fat versus sugar, then obviously that changes as well as does your power output. But seeing this deflection, we start noticing that, you know, it used to be that I can only produce 150 watts of power at this heart rate. Now I can produce 200 watts of power at this heart rate. Then obviously it points to efficiency. You're starting to get a little bit more effective in your ability to access presumably access fat stores and or not go anaerobic. Um, right. Is that kind of what we're – it's essentially the same thing. It's just in your world is percentages of your functional threshold power, correct? Right. So so you have to kind of re- reverse your thinking a little bit. So this is going to be a challenge for, for a lot of people, right, because you're still coming at it from the response, right, and not coming at it from the dose. Um, the dose is power. So that starts first. And then you get this heart response, you get this gas exchange number and all that stuff. So you're absolutely 100% correct in thinking of it as, okay, it's an improvement. It's, it's literally uh, efficiency in the body has, has improved. Um, but at the same time, what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to flip the way you think and think about it from the dose response dose response side of it not just the response response it's the dose response so it's like hey okay go and do 100 watts all right and you know if if 100 watts is your your functional threshold running power power then 
we're going to do intervals of 100 watts irregardless of what your heart rate does and irregardless of what your gas exchange does and what your carbohydrate is. It doesn't, doesn't matter, right? Because we're going to do, we're going to train to the dose. Let me give you an example. So um, I had a, uh, a client who was training um, very intensely for um, the national championships. Um, normally, uh, he's a very talented rider. Uh, normally, he could uh, ride at a, a threshold power cycling of 350 watts, and his heart rate would be 175. So when he was fresh, his heart rate would be 175, 350 watts. Training really, really hard. Um, week after week goes by, um, you know, starting to get fatigued, but he's um, at the same time, he's getting better, right? He's, he's improving from this. He's taking the training and, and absorbing it and getting better. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's fortunate in the fact that he has somebody who can motor pace him, so he rides behind a, a motorcycle uh, two days a week because it gives you race speed, and he lives in a rural area where he doesn't have anybody to really ride with, so, and he can do some really, really hard workouts that way. He's kind of a motivator. Um, and plus, it's just fun to ride behind a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> it falls an hour on your bicycle. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, uh, you know, when, when he calls me up, and he's like, hey, Hunter, you know, uh, I, went, I came back from the ride today, and I'm really tired, you know, and there's no way I could have done that ride today without having that motorcycle to help me. Um, my heart rate is only coming up to about 167 now when I'm at my threshold power, but my power is now, you know, 370, 380 watts. So he's come up 20 to 30 watts in power. And so I said, well, don't worry about your heart rate. You know, you're still hitting the power. You're still hitting the numbers. You're still training the system. You're still making that happen. And, and we've got to keep training. Calls me up after his motor pace session on Thursday and says, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I went out again today. You know, I nailed 380 watts this time, like flying behind the motorcycle, fast as I've ever gone behind this motorcycle. But now my heart rate's only 160 and it's like, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I'm really tired. I can tell you, I'm really tired. I'm like, well, that makes sense. You've been training really hard. You've been tired. But guess what? You've got three more days before you can rest because then that's when we begin our taper. And he said, you know, if I'd have never had this power meter and uh, had been looking at it, and I, I would have stopped training a week and a half ago. And I said, Exactly, right? Because a week and a half ago, you know, if you'd only had a heart rate monitor, you'd only been looking at the response, you'd say, oh gosh, you know, I can't get my heart rate up to 175 anymore. It's only coming to 170, and then it's only coming to 167, it's only coming to 165, 160. You would have stopped training, and you wouldn't have gotten that extra 10 days of additional training stress that your body could take and get stronger from it. So then, you know, he rests after the, the Sunday or whatever, trains all through Sunday, rests, you know, go through our, his taper period, rest period. You know, he comes back once he's recovered. Now his threshold's 400 watts, right? And so now it's like he came up from his normal 350 to 400 watts, and guess what? Now his threshold heart rate, 180, because now he's fresh. So he goes on the day, and on the day that he wants to have the best ride of his life, he averages his heart rate 184, huh. yeah. and his power was 410 watts. Easily became national champion. Crushed everybody, all right? 
but the, the lesson being here is that if we had just trained him through a response response system, he probably would not have won national championships. He would have never, you know, gotten had 410 watts at his threshold. And so that's that's kind of the thing you have to start to change, and that's going to be a big paradigm shift for this whole running world as well, is how do we start to think about the training dose perspective. Does that make sense? I'm listening to you tell me this, and I'm thinking about the reasons why his heart rate was dumping and the reasons why his heart rate went back up again. And typically, I see this with people, and you know, I have not the same story, but a similar story where I had a guy that, you know, we, and incidentally, one of the things that I was going to talk about, and I didn't bring it up, but is these quantitative results where you do these time trials periodically to determine whether, in fact, there is a shift in this functional threshold power. Uh, and I know you do that, and this, this is essentially the same thing we do. I'm very much an advocate of time trialing at this AT to determine whether there's improvements in the output relative to the cost. And we're kind of talking about the same thing, I think. Um, but I had a guy. I had a guy where he would typically run at about 167 beats per minute, and the yield would be about a six-minute pace. And then he started complaining that you know he couldn't get over 140 beats per minute when he was running at that same pace. And he was complaining about it. I said, well, at the end of the day, the heart rate represents cost, and essentially now you're 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 paying wholesale as opposed to paying retail before. And so I'm trying to understand where generally when I see uh, a drop in heart rate response over time, it's usually pointing to improvements in the cardiac output. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's metabolic value behind the fact that your heart rate's not going up again. And then I've seen also where heart rate uh, dumps and you can't produce it because you're just going flat. You're just, you just can't make the heart push anymore because yep. the muscles aren't driving it. And then uh, what I'm miffed about is the ability to produce more work, even though he produced more work, but his heart rate went up higher again. Right, right, What's right. that all about? Well, that, that really is just the, the fact that he was fresh. You know, he, he gained all that freshness, and he, he lost all that fatigue in his, you know, 10-day, 12-day taper period. And so, therefore, now... You know he's got you know his glycogen stores are are full and and he's completely rested and um, you know his heart can pump at a very high rate. So you know in this case you know in in and you know you're thinking about it in the right way. You know he had all those things going on right. You had um, improvements in fitness overall fitness happening. Therefore he's doing more work with less heart rate. Um, you had fatigue going on. And, you know, his heart rate was just lower because he couldn't, you know, it was just tired. He couldn't pump it faster anymore, right? He just couldn't do that. And then, um, and then the third one there is, is well, now it's, it's, he's got increased fitness because his body is adapted. He's got more mitochondria, capillaries, all those, you know, hemoglobin, hematocrit levels are high. All those wonderful things are happening internally, uh, stroke volume, et cetera. Um, that's all occurring. And then you've got the freshness on top of it, so now you can really, you know, pump a lot of uh, air into your body and, and into your uh, blood. So um, all that stuff happens. You know, w- we look at um, early on when we started training with a power meter, 
we looked a lot at heart rate to power relationships. Um, and uh, we, we, we've largely moved away from that. Um, I think that's, the fir- that's one of the first things that you kind of recognize, you know, when you're a relatively new to power training and cycling is, okay, gosh, yeah, I'm doing uh, 200 watts and my heart rate is 160. Okay, and then I get fitter, and now I'm doing 200 watts, and now my heart rate is only 150, uh, you know, one or whatever. And then now I'm, I'm getting fitter, and now I'm doing 200 watts, my heart rate's only 140. So you're getting those efficiency changes. Um, but what happens is, you know, ultimately, you know, we, we just kind of disregard what the heart rate's doing and saying, well, gosh, you know, um, you know, now your threshold's 210 watts, now it's 220 watts, now it's 230 watts. So you're still working at the same heart rate, you know, at 160 or whatever, but now it's at 230 watts. Um, what's the, the famous quote by Greg LeMond, you know, you, you, it never gets easier. You just get faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, that's what you hope for, right? Yeah. So, so, but we, we, we kind of, we moved away from, from that, um, just because there's so many factors with heart rate. It's just hard. You know, it's, it's hydration level. It's how much caffeine did you have? How well did you sleep? How stressed you are at work? Um, you know, humidity levels, you know, just like so many different things impact it that uh, all of a sudden once you have the dose, like, you know, we don't even need to look at it anymore. Now, that being said, I'm not a heart rate zealot and I haven't, you know, uh, you know <laughs> burned my heart rate to the, in the big pile of heart rate straps when we had a big fire, um, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I still wear a heart rate strap. I still make all my clients wear heart rate straps. Because to me, heart rate is the intensity of your intention, right? It's the intensity of your intention. How hard are you trying to go, right? So when somebody sends me a power file and it shows 200 watts, it goes up to 200 watts and it sits there for an hour and it goes down, I, you know, I, and they don't have a heart rate in there. I don't know if that's good for them or not, or maybe they just rode at 200 watts really easy, or maybe that was as hard as they could go. But if they send me a power file and there's heart rate in there and power and their heart rate's at 180 and it's pegged to the ceiling at 180 for the whole hour and they do 200 watts, okay, I know that the intensity of their intention was very high and they were going as hard as they could go. Therefore, I could say, oh, okay, so 200 watts is your threshold power, heart rate threshold to 180 watts. So I still use it. But at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just uh, one of the multi-factors that we use in terms of training. Yeah, I, I'm not ready to throw my heart rate monitor away either. I think that it's really important to get a sense of how your body's responding to the work you're doing. And uh, all of it's information. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I had this conversation with Matt Fitzgerald myself. And Matt's an old friend. I've done a lot of things with him. And he's been on my show many, many times. And, we, and we've argued back and forth about a lot of different things. Uh, perception is a big thing with him. And, and uh, I think a lot of times perception is can be misleading. So I like to see what's happening. And I, I'm just really, and I've had guys refer to me as the heart rate guy. And I'm not really a heart rate guy. I'm an I'm a information guy. If, All right. As you suggested, it's like, you see, well, he's running at 200 watts for an hour. That's great, but what is it costing him? Was he taking it easy? Was he nailing it? What, what was he doing to create this work? 
And then you got the whole story. You could pretty much get a sense of it, um, a, a far better sense of it, I would think, than just seeing what the output was. And I guess if he's chronically throwing up work and you're comparing it over time, maybe then you develop your own picture from that information. But I, I'd like to have all of it in play. I'd like to see what's happening with the body as opposed to, not as opposed to, but in conjunction with what's happening in respect to his outcome. Right. You know, and, and so that's a great point because, you know, ultimately what's going to ha- what's happening here is is we have to look at these devices not necessarily as power meters or heart rate monitors or cadence meters or whatever. Um, these are data acquisition devices. And, you know, just like the motorsports world, you know, all the Formula One cars, they have sensors on every part of every piece of every car. And it's just data acquisition. You know, it's like, all right, we need to know what braking force the driver is doing. We need to know how much turning force they're using and how much acceleration, you know, how hard do they have the their foot on the, the accelerator, you know. I mean, everything that's happening in the, in those cars is, is acquired. And so now, now we're seeing that information come to us, you know. So we have data acquisition devices that, that you know, we're capturing everything. And I, and I think it's it's only going to continue. I mean, uh, I was out in Colorado at the endurance Co- endurance coaching symposium last week in in Boulder, and you know there was four new companies that came up to me privately that were in the audience and had little okay we need to show you our product, um, you know, and some of them were really really well funded. It's like wow, holy smokes, these guys. I uh, have a really cool product here that's going to come out, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be even better than what everybody else has seen. So all of a sudden, but it's, it's like that's going to continue, and I think this is a really cool step to start to see in the running world um, as well. Yeah. Incidentally, one of my sponsors is, is Mio, who came out with a first, uh, I want to say, responsible heart rate monitor that did not require a chest strap. So as you start to wean yourself off of a heart rate monitor, the one thing that you hope to get rid of is having to wear that chest strap. (laughs) And, and, you know, as you suggested, you know, it's a function of these data-collecting devices. I'm able to garner all this information right out of my iPhone. And through that, you're getting all these analytics. You're getting your pace. You're getting changes in elevation, distance via the GPS system. And then at the same token, being able to add to that this power. And I guess the the old adage that information is power, it almost may be reversed. Say power is the information, right? (laughs) Power is knowledge and knowledge is power. (laughs) Wow. Well, you know, Hunter, we could probably do this for another five hours. Um, And uh, I really appreciate having a chance to talk to you. It's it's really insightful to, to hear you talk about the potential that exists in, again, it's a holy grail. It's just being able to get in a really effective quantitative measure of your efforts running much like you would do on the bike. And I think it's really going to have an impact on the triathlon world. So if, if you like, I could make a point to get a hold of these guys and see if I can get them to send them a pair of these insoles. Absolutely. Uh, I'll get you a pair of these. Uh, I'd love to have you mess around with them and see what you think. That sounds great. That sounds great. I'd love to uh, love to give them a shot. It'd be awesome. Uh, let's uh, before we go. I want you to plug your uh, your site and your coaching business. Yep, certainly. Uh, Peaks Coaching Group, uh, PeaksCoachingGroup.com, and we have uh, coaches for uh, cyclists, runners, swimmers, 
triathletes uh, and and more. And we do camps and clinics all uh, around the uh, around the world. And in uh, coaching, you know, if you're not looking for a personal coach, then I've got uh, hundreds of pre-built training plans that I've written myself uh, that you know combine all the experience that I've used with my athletes, but are pre-built for different things, eight weeks to your peak or, you know, spring training or winter training or whatever. Um, so those are great options as well. So the same token, I think those that are curious about what I'm talking about, the website for them to find that would be rpmsquare.com. And uh, they're actually some nice people. I've been doing some stuff with them on and off, and I'm really curious to see how it all shakes out. And, Hunter, we will circle back. You and I will talk about this type of thing once again if, uh, if the gods are willing. All right. That Let's, sounds great. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, my friend. I hope to meet you in person sometime. All right. Sounds great. Take care. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.